Hi, and welcome back to House Wine, the podcast where I try to demystify wine, break it down, and talk about the most famous wine regions in the world without gatekeeping, don't like gatekeeping, uh, and just discuss my experiences uh, with these regions as a sommelier who's worked for quite a few years now. And we are on part three of our four-part series on the Loire Valley. A few interesting tidbits happened in wine this week. Uh, Piedmonte, the region that nestles within it some of the most iconic Italian wines, think Barolo, Barbaresco, Barbera, Moscato, announced a new DOCG this week. Uh, DOCG is the highest classification level in Italy. It's the AOC level of Italian wine. And the new DOCG is called Terre Alfieri. It's going to focus on the grapes of Nebbiolo and Arnais, arguably two of the noble grapes of this region. And this is of note because Italy hasn't upgraded any regions from the lower level, the DOC level, which is the level just below DOCG uh, of the Italian Appalachian system. They haven't upgraded anything since 2014, and the last region that they upgraded was Nizza, which is also located in Piedmonte. And we'll get (laughs) one day, like I always say, every podcast I'll do an episode on Italian wine, and we'll go into the nuances of um, how they decide to upgrade DOC to DOCG. But it's kind of a big deal because they put the kibosh on it uh, for a few years and they didn't want to do any more upgrades because they had a a mass uh, influx of upgrades between 2011 and 2014. And everybody was uh, outraged as only the Italians can be. And uh, so I guess now the floodgates are open again. Maybe, maybe we'll see some more, but it seems like uh, COVID has not put the damper on wine legislation. We had two new upgraded AVAs last time I recorded, and we have a new DOCG now. So who'd have thought? Wine bureaucracy is still going strong, even though we're in the midst of a global pandemic. I'm fine with it. I think it's great. But uh, that's about it. Short intro, not much going on in the world of wine this uh, this week. So we're just going to dive right into this pretty juicy episode about terrain because terrain has a lot going on. And I've tried to make this episode um, the least convoluted that I can. And uh, we'll see. We'll see how that works. I'm a little I'm a little dubious at my writing of this episode, but I shouldn't I shouldn't tell you that off the bat. But I did. So there you go. Follow along. We'll see how it goes. If you want to know some of my sources, uh, you can check out the episode on the Pay Nante. I talk about it all in more detail there, as well as I go a little bit more into, again, what I say is the pretty placid history of this region in a little more detail. I've said it twice now, and I'll say it again. Uh, The Loire is pretty peaceful. There is history here, to be sure, um, but not like a ton that helps us understand or contextualize these wines. Basically, the Romans came, they brought the grapes, kings of France vacationed here, they drank the wines, and so it went. Let's get into it and pick apart the details of this, our third stop on our tour of the Loire Valley. We're reading this region like a book, moving from west to east, left to right. We started with the region that is the floodplain of the Loire, and that's the Peignante, where the river flows out into the Atlantic Ocean. And then we moved a little inland, and we covered the region of Anjou-Sommer, 
where we began to look at the grapes Chenin Blanc and Cabernet Franc, arguably the two powerhouse grapes of Anjou Sommer and arguably also the two powerhouse grapes of Terrain. So we're going to be looking at those again today. So if you want to get up to speed, I suggest going back and listening to last episode before this one, because it's essentially a continuation of that episode. Last time I said there were 18 distinct AOPs in Anjou Sommer. We've declined or uh, taken them down a little bit this time. There are only 13 distinct AOPs in terrain. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about how we're going to break these down. So let's go over uh, first the most important rivers, and then we'll talk about the AOPs that are making Champlanc, and then we'll talk about the AOPs that are making Cabernet Franc. Then we'll go over a few of the outliers because like last time, I'm not going to go into full detail about every single AOP because that would be a three-hour podcast with more information than anybody needs. Uh, before I get into that, I should probably mention that I'm actually drinking a wine that matches with today's episode. I'm drinking a Vouvray. Uh, it was on the lower side of price. It was $18. It's called Ambrosie and it's 11.5% alcohol. And it's a little sweet. It's, uh, I would say it's off dry. Yeah, it's nice and apple-y. It's not as earthy or mineral as I would want, or as I would, as I personally would seek out a Vouvray or a, a generation I'm long to be. But that's something you sort of tend to get on the higher, on the higher end of the market. And this is a, a delicious little, with lack of making myself sound very pretentious, it's a delicious little entry-level Vouvray. So if you're looking for a Vouvray, I definitely recommend it. It uh, It's pretty simple on the label. It just says Amboisie Vouvray Appellation Vouvray Contrôlé. And there's a little cloud on the label, and the cloud has a grapevine going through it. But yeah, I've never... I've never tried this wine before, and I'm quite pleased with it. I think it's a great podcast recording wine. So back to geography. <laughs> like in Anjou Sommer, the Loire River cuts this region in half and creates a north bank of the river and a south bank of the river. And there are tributaries that feed into the Loire from the south. Uh, one is called the Indre, Indre River, I-N-D-R-E, and one is called the Cher River, C-H-E-R-E, C-H-E-R, sorry. C-H-E-R, like the singer. And that's how I always remember it. Because maybe I do believe in life after love. I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. But there are clusters of AOPs that are situated around where these two rivers meet. Uh, that is the Andre flowing into the Loire and the Cher flowing into the Loire. Anytime you have like two rivers connecting, it generally tends to be this confluence of Let's make wine there. We see it in Germany. We see just like all over the world. It's like anytime two rivers intersect, it seems like back in the day, you know, monks were like, two rivers, eh? Let's grow some wine. The next most important river is not the L-O-I-R-E, but its partner in crime, the other Loire, the L-O-I-R, drop the E river. This river does not connect to the Loire in terrain, but rather those two rivers meet in Anjou Sommer, which is why we touched on that again in last episode. In terrain, which is the region we're covering today, the LOIR runs parallel to the LOIRE, which is so it's just above the actual Loire, the fake Loire is what I'll call it. The fake Loire is north of the real Loire. Uh, and there are three AOPs nestled 
on the fake Loire, and there are a bunch of AOPs nestled along the real Loire. And the first AOP we're going to talk about is Terrain AOP. Like the AOPs of Anjou Summer, respectively, in the last episode, Terrain is the largest AOP in Terrain. Go figure. This is the AOP that fills in all the blanks, basically between all those little smaller AOPs nestled within it. And again, it makes almost every kind of wine. The whites in this region are very much one of the first places uh, in the Loire where we see predominantly Sauvignon Blanc. We've seen like little outcrops of Sauvignon Blanc, but this is where they're actually starting to make like a lot of Sauvignon Blanc. So if you like French Sauvignon Blanc, this is where you're really going to find some good value wines. On wine lists that I've made in the past, Terrain Sauvignon Blanc has usually made an appearance as a by-the-glass or a by-the-glass feature because a bottle of Sancerre, which is just down the river and to be discussed more next episode, really starts around $30 a bottle. And when you're trying to put something by the glass that's affordable, you kind of want to stay a little bit below that uh, so that you can make your restaurant a nice profit. And it's really easy to pick up a good bottle of Sauvignon Blanc from Terrain for half the price that your entry-level Sancerre starts at. It might be a little bit riper. It might have a few more exposed green notes, uh, which is one of the things that people tend to like about Sauvignon Blanc or love about Sauvignon Blanc is this sort of grassy hay taste. But the wines from Terrain really deliver, and they're also making, of course, Chenin Blanc here. But that's not all, because they're making all the wines. It's a very diverse AOP. And the reds here are really all over the map. They're making light-bodied fruity wines from Gamay. They're making wines from a grape called Grolo, which isn't really found too much outside the Loire Valley, but is definitely very prominent in the Loire Valley. That's G-R-O-L-L-E-A-U. And it's mostly used in the production of rosé. And they're also making deeper and fuller-bodied wines out of a grape called Cote. Now, what is Cote? Cote is the local uh, name that they use in the Loire Valley for a grape that is much more well-known and much more commonly called Malbec. There is quite a few suggestions that this is actually where Malbec originated from, but we'll sort of dive into that a little bit more later when we cover the wines of southwest France uh, and we talk about the migration of this grape from its home, which may be in the Loire Valley, but really in France now is in the southwest, and uh, its new home, which most people know it from, uh, which is Argentina. So if you are looking for something full-bodied, because Malbec is a full-bodied grape, it really um, presents itself as being like deep and rich and inky and juicy. It's got nice thick skins, so it produces a lot of tannin. If that's what you're in the mood for, you can find it in the Loire Valley. It's going to be a little bit lighter in style, well, much lighter in style than, say, Malbec from Argentina, just because Argentina is a hot place and the Loire Valley is quite a cool place. But yeah, it's there. So there's that's what, when I say the Loire Valley has something for everybody, it really does. You can have a Cabernet Sauvignon. You can have a Malbec from the Loire Valley. You can also have a Cabernet Franc. You can also have a Muscadet. It's really got everything going on. That's not even all they're doing. I just listed so many different grapes and there's still more. They're making rosé, of course, because they love to make rosé in the Loire Valley. And they're also making sparkling wine. We haven't touched too much on sparkling wine yet. We talked about it a little bit in the episode on Alsace, but they're making sparkling wine all over the Loire Valley. Actually, it's one of the only 
uh, what I like to call or what is generally called general appellations of the Loire. And a general appellation is an AOP that spans the entirety of a region. So there are two of those in the Loire Valley, much like the AOP of Alsace is the regional AOP of Alsace. The regional AOP of the Loire Valley is, maybe you've already guessed it, Loire Valley AOP, or as they call it in France, Val de Loire AOP. This means basically that you could take the grapes from Muscatet and blend them with the grapes of Vouvray and make a wine. There is one more AOP that spans the entirety of the Loire Valley, and that's Cremant de Loire. That means you could take the grapes of Muscadet and you could take grapes from Vouvray and blend them to make one sparkling wine. Cremant is essentially baby champagne. That's how I describe it to people when they when they want to know a very sort of the the very um, rudimentary definition of Cremant is that it's baby champagne, where your most where most of your champagnes have to age for a minimum of 15 months. That is the law in Champagne. Cremont only has to age for nine. And the aging process is where it gets its bubbles from. So Cremont is a sparkling wine from France, basically. It's a sparkling wine from France that is not Champagne. That's a bit of an oversimplification, but you get the idea. So Champagne is its own thing. You have to be from the AOP of Champagne to be called Champagne. So what do they call sparkling wine from anywhere else in France? Well, they call it Cremant. Cremant exists in the sparkling wine category as a traditional method sparkling wine. And that is to say that the thing that gives its bubbles is that they first make a completely still wine, like a white wine that you would drink, like a white wine that I'm drinking now. They put it in a bottle and in that bottle, they add a little bit of sugar and they add a little bit of yeast. The firm, There's a tiny little fermentation that happens in the bottle, and that fermentation produces CO2, and that CO2 gives the wine its bubbles. So when they do a traditional method, they're not like injecting gas or they're not doing anything crazy. They're just letting yeast and nature sort of take its course. If you are looking for a wine, a sparkling wine, something festive, something tasty, something delicious, and you don't want to buy champagne, not that you shouldn't buy champagne, I love champagne. We're going to do an episode on champagne soon. But you don't want to spend a ton of money. You want to keep your budget below champagne budget. Cremont is the best place to look. And like I said, they're making it all over the Loire Valley, but you're really finding some exceptional examples in terrain. And that's what they're doing in Terrain AOP. Long-winded. Again, <laughs> this episode, I've, I, found a, I found this to be my most challenging episode to write yet for some reason. I don't know why. So now we're going to break it down by grape. Where are they making Chenin Blanc? Where are they making Cabernet Franc? And what else besides these two powerhouse grapes is going on here? Arguably, the most famous appellation in terrain is Vouvray AOP. The wines in Vouvray are mostly Chenin Blanc, and that is to say that there's actually a small clause in AOP that says that these wines can have just 5% of another grape blended into them. A white grape called Orbois, O-R-B-O-I-S, which is kind of an outlier grape that really finds its home in the Loire Valley and isn't really planted very much in the Loire Valley or elsewhere. And why they allow 5% of it in Vouvray, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. But that's the rule. That's the law. That's the law that they made. Vouvray is a very old AOP. It was sort of uh, part of the first wave of AOPs in the 1930s to get uh, upgraded to AOC status. So I think they just kind of do things there that uh, are old school. 
And I think Orbois is one of those old school hang-ons. Maybe somebody is growing Orbois somewhere in the world, in California or Australia or New Zealand or something. But uh, that's for further exploration down the line. I have not heard of such a thing and would love to try it if it exists. But message me if you find one. So unlike Savignier, which is the other Chenin Blanc heavy AOP over in Anjou Saumur, which makes wine from 100% only Chenin Blancs that must be dry in style. Vouvray is a little bit more lenient when it comes to what you can do with this grape. The Chenin Blancs here in Vouvray can be off dry in style with just a little sweetness to them, which even though there are many people who profess that they do not like sweet wine, I dare you to try an off-dry Vouvray and tell me that it is not delicious. And I'll say the same thing when we talk about Riesling in Germany. But quick tip if you want to know uh, if something is a little bit sweet or not, check the bottle for the alcohol content. If it's 10% or less, it's probably on the sweet side. If it's more than that, it's probably leaning to the drier side. It's not a hard and fast rule, though, because the wine that I am drinking now is 11.5%, and it's definitely a little sweet. There's definitely a little bit of sweetness to this wine. And they also make sparkling vouvray. I would say that one of the best examples of a winery that's making all three styles at a very high level is Domaine Huet. H-U-E-T. This domain is biodynamic. Again, listen to last episode to learn more about what that means re-witchy winemaking following the patterns of the moon, planets, and invented by the pretty out-there Austrian Rudolf Steiner, but now practiced widely around the world. Domaine Huey is essentially Vouvray in every way. It's grown on three plots of land, the Mont, the Haute-Rieu, and the Clos de Bourg. It's making all kinds of wine. It's making dry, it's making off-dry, it's making sparkling, it's making rosé, and it's making really exceptional wines. And they can command a bit of a price. They can be anywhere sort of hovering around $60 or more. They're not the only people in the Loire. They're the high end of the Loire. There's a lot of great value in the Loire. Like I said, the wine that I'm drinking tonight is $18. And it's pretty delicious. Is it Domaine Hue? No. <laughs> but <laughs> would I rather be drinking that? Yeah, probably. But um Oh, it sounds like I'm being shady to this wine. I'm not being shady to this wine. I think this wine is very delicious. But uh but yeah, Domaine Hue is Domaine Hue is the good stuff. It's the top it's the top end. But you can find a whole range. At the LCBO, which is the liquor store that I'm beholden to because we only have one liquor store in Ontario for my uh outside Ontario listeners, of which you are quite a few. Thank you for listening. Uh France and England. It is, uh, we don't get a ton of Vouvray. Uh, and so you're kind of beholden to what you do get. And what you do get is usually hovering around the mid to low end. I would love to be able to walk in and just be like, oh, yes, Domaine Huey, why not record my podcast on a, you know, Sunday night and, and drink some Huey alone? But no, 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 I get Amboisie Vouvray with a little cloud in the vine, which is fine. It's tasty. It's tasty but it could be tastier. So what else are they doing with Chenin Blanc and Touraine? Well, there is the small AOP of mont louis loire that is basically making the exact same kinds of wine as Vouvray. So if you feel like Vouvray is out of your reach or out of your budget, or you want to try a Chenin from not Vouvray, then you should go for some mont louis loire 
It doesn't share the same fame as Ouvray, but the wines they are making are incredibly similar. And the really the only thing that separates these two uh, these two regions is the Loire River itself. Mont-Louis-sur-Loire is on the north bank of the river, and Vouvray is on the south bank. And the law, the wine law in these regions, is identical. So. If you go, if I were to go to my limited liquor store and not find Vouvray, I would look for Mont-Louis-sur-Loire, but uh, I doubt they would have it because we just, uh, we don't, we don't get random things like that. So the other region here that's making wines, uh, white wines that are exclusively from Chenin Blanc is Jasnier. And this is one of those three regions that uh, sits on the LOIR River, sits just north of the main strip of the Loire River, and they're making really great Chenin here. It's dry in style. It's pretty lean. Uh, it's pretty minerally. I've only had it a few times because it's not something that comes around a lot. But the ones that I really have had have been great, and they've been pretty age-worthy. I've had some some older Jasnier, and I've I've been quite impressed with it. The problem with AOPs like Jasnier and Mont-Louis sur Loire is that they're really for people in the know because most wine drinkers have heard about Vouvray before, but no one goes to, the, not the average person doesn't just go to the liquor store and be like, oh, I can't wait to pick up some Jasnier tonight. It's one of those things where you'll always kind of find a Vouvray hanging around, but you won't always find a Mont-Louis sur Loire. So if you do see a Mont-Louis sur Loire, you do see a Jasnier, Grab it, try it, support the people who are outside of Vouvray. Not that Vouvray isn't, doesn't deserve our support, but these little Appalachians are doing really great, really cool things, and they get overshadowed by the, by the big brand names, the big celebrity wines, unless they have somebody to curate these tiny little wine shops, which are now popping up in Ontario. I need to stop being so negative. We finally just passed our legislation, which I guess is kind of news in Ontario, where we're allowed to have bottle shops, and it's it's actually quite exciting. I'm quite happy to be able to start shopping at places that don't just cater to what the government wants to sell us. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time. I work in a bottle shop right now. I'll work in a restaurant again when COVID's done, but currently I work in a bottle shop, and I'm having a great time with it. So they're making wine all over in terrain. And those were just some of the highlights, some of the Chenin Blancs. But they're also making wine from a grape called Romoranton. And where they're making it is in Cour Chevrony. It's a grape that used to be planted everywhere, all over the Loire, and now it's pretty much confined to this one AOP, Cour Chevrony. The grape Romoranton is thought to be related or have a parent, like a similar parentage to Chardonnay. And it's a very mineral and clean tasting wine. And a lot of people say it's much like drinking Chablis. And I have to take their word for it because full disclosure, I have never before tried a Romorantin. If I can get a bottle, if I can grab it, if I can get my hands on it sometime, I will be sure to make a tasting of it and record it and put it on the podcast. But for now, it just remains a little bit of a mystery to me. And that's pretty much all I have for white wine. So now we're going to talk about some red wine and we're going to talk about Chinon, which is a good transition from white wine because they actually do make a little bit of white wine in Chinon too. But this is really Cabernet Franc territory. And this is arguably where some of the best Cabernet Francs in the world come from. If you want more details on this grape and what it tastes like and where it comes from, again, listen to last episode. I get into it. 
And she knows on the south bank of the river with just a little outcrop on the north side. And there are two locally named soils here. There's Tufo, that calcareous limestone that's found in Vouvray, that's found in Anjou-Saumur. And there's also another one that the locals call Varennes. And this is a local term for alluvial sand. And it's something that you find often along the banks of a river. And it's from millennia of erosion and glacial melt. Basically, you know, river stuff. I'm not a geologist by any stretch of the imagination, but sommeliers get pretty worked up about this kind of thing, and it won't likely be the last time I talk about, you know, geological erosions, but yeah, that's it. Alluvial sand. You find it on rivers. Cabernet Franc from Chinon is concentrated, and yet also light on the palate. It has a wonderful acidity, which makes it very fresh, and at times a really fruit-forward red wine. With little outcrops of tufo limestone here, it also has a distinct earthiness, and it's a very pleasantly herbaceous wine. I probably mentioned it last time. I love Cabernet Franc. I really, really love it. I actually just love the whole Cab family of grapes. And the Cab family of grapes... Oh, I'm going to backtrack for a second. I really don't love using the word cab because it's the same reason I don't like just generally referring to a wine as Pinot. There are so many different kinds of Pinot. There's Pinot Gris, there's Pinot Blanc, there's Pinot Grigio, there's Pinot d'Ennui, there's Pinot Noir, Pinot Nero. So it's like if you go to a restaurant, you just say, I'll have the Pinot. You might end up with something completely other than what you wanted. You know, you might have been ordering a Pinot Noir and the sommelier might come over with this, you know, freaky natural Pinot Donise. You don't know, you know. I mean, hopefully the sommelier would be more intuitive than to just randomly serve somebody Pinot Donise, but it it could happen. And I find the same with cabs. So I correct myself. I said cab family of grapes. I really like the Cabernet family of grapes. I really like Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, and... Uh, their relatives, and their relatives being Merlot, one of my all-time favorite wines of all time, or grapes of all time. But that is for another episode. That's for our episode on Bordeaux, because that is where the Cabernet family of grapes really find their home. Cabernet Franc shines in the Loire Valley, and Cabernet Franc really shines, really shines in Chinon. And Chinon is one of those places where you have, really have a myriad of exceptional producers. There are tons of amazing people doing amazing winemaking here and I just won't have the time to mention them all. You'll have to do a bit of exploring on your own. But this is another one. It's another amazing region, the Loire Valley, where yeah, you can go high end, but you also really don't have to break the bank. If you do want to break the bank though, I suggest trying the wines of Cuy du Toy. That's C-O-U-L-E-Y dash D-U-T-H-E-I-L. It's a little bit hard to say. Cuyi Tutoy has a very small plot of land, and they're known for making the exceptional wine from Chinon called Clos de l'Eco, which slopes down the river of the Loire. It's a clos, which means a walled vineyard. So when I say slopes down the river of the Loire, I mean the vineyard itself slopes down the river of the Loire. And it makes a very full-bodied and meaty Chinon that has the potential to spend a few extra years in bottle or you can drink it right away too. They, like many wineries you may discover on your journey, have a website that does not give you a ton of information, nor does it seem like they have updated it in about 15 years since, you know, a PR person or a marketing person told them they had to make a website. But if you get your hands on a bottle 
so delicious. It's uh, it's recommended in 1001 Wines to Try Before You Die. I picked up a bottle when I was in the States a few years ago, and I was very, very happy with it. I'm also a huge fan of the wines of Charles Juguet, who has a marginally better website. The wines here are really the benchmark of Chinon. They make a red, they make a white, they make a rosé, and they're really dedicated to making the best Cabernet Franc they possibly can. Vineyards themselves are low intervention, but they also use a lot of modern winemaking techniques, stainless steel fermentation, some modern agricultural techniques when it comes to vineyard management. If you get a bottle of Charles Juguet, message me. We can drink it together in a park. (laughs) I'm all about the Charles Juguet. It's one of my favorite wines. And uh, like I said, Chinon really represents a diverse price point. You can get a high-end bottle, which will set you back over $100. But I've also picked up Chinon for $20 and been exceptionally happy with it. And you can find even more value wines in Bourgoy and Saint-Nicolas-de-Bourgoy. And those are Chinon's companion OPs that are just across the river on the north bank of the Loire. They make red wine only. So unlike Chinon, where you can have a little bit of white, in Bourgogne and Saint-Nicolas-de-Bourgogne, you can only have red wine. In the blend with Cabernet Franc, they're allowed to put a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon, which makes the wines here generally a little bit deeper and a little bit richer for those who are looking for a slightly, and I emphasize slightly, richer style. One last thing quickly before we leave Terrain for now. There's an AOP here called Valencé. It is in the eastmost part of Terrain, and it's right on the Cher River. That's one of those tributaries that feeds into the Loire. And they are making tons of wine here. Whites, again, mostly from Sauvignon Blanc, with a few things blended in, and reds, mostly from Gamay, with a few things blended in. But though you have maybe never heard of these wines, or maybe never drank one, this is a very important AOP because it's also an AOP for cheese. So though you may never have heard of these wines, you've probably come across this cheese before in your time because it is very popular. Soft-ripened goat cheese, and there are many commercial riffs on this style of cheese, most notably the semi-soft cylinder of generic goat cheese that you can buy at the grocery store. But Valencé itself, or the legal designation for this cheese, is an ashed goat cheese. It's in the shape of a pyramid, or rather, a pyramid with the head cut off of it. Which, according to the local history, is because Napoleon, after returning from a defeat in Egypt, saw Valencé cheese, which still had its full pyramid top, was so upset by the pyramid shape after having lost a battle in Egypt that he drew his sword and sliced off the top of the cheese. And they've made it pointless, like a a pyramid with the tip cut off of it ever since. I mean, who knows if that's true or not? I like to believe all these little wine and cheese stories are true. So Napoleon doesn't like pyramids, cuts the top off. Sauvignon Blanc and Valencé cheese are considered to be a classic pairing, but we'll get to the little bit more of the nuances of Sauvignon Blanc and goat cheese next week when we talk about our last stop on the Loire, the Central Vineyards, where we really get to the home of Sauvignon Blanc. Again, I did not cover everything here. There's too much going on. I glossed over a few things. I glossed over Chiverny, which is also an AOP that makes goat cheese by the same name and grows Sauvignon Blanc. I didn't really talk about Coteau de la Loire or Coteau Vendomois. Those are two AOP. Those are the two other AOPs that touch the LOIR River and make Chenin Blanc. 
nor did I touch on Terrain Noble Jouet, which makes rosé from Pinot Meunier, a grape that is mostly associated with champagne, because it's kind of out there. <laughs> and when you have to talk about the big names of Terrain, which are Chinon and Vouvray, Terrain Noble Jouet kind of gets left in the dust. Sorry, Terrain Noble Jouet, one day we'll circle back to you. You know, those little regions get blocked out by the big guys. So again, another episode with a lot of information. I say that pretty much at the end of every episode, but there's a lot to talk about and it feels like I run out of time every week to do it in, which is why one day I'll circle back. One day we'll do like a deep, deep, deep dive on Vouvray and uh, we'll leave a little bit more time for the rosé wines of Terrain Noble Jouet, but for another episode. And I'm going to leave you there. Drink some Chinon, drink some Vouvray if you haven't already. And this is where I remind you quickly that House Wine is an independent podcast, that it's written, narrated, and produced by me, Rachel. I use my own notes from having worked as a sommelier with other reference materials to write these episodes. If you learned something or you're going to pick up a bottle of Vouvray this week, then like it, subscribe it, give it a few stars, or leave a comment. That's the best way to support the show. The art is done by Kelly Lauren, a local Toronto artist and illustrator. She's amazing. I love her work. So check her out on Instagram at K-L-Y-L-A-U-R-E-N. And if you want to check me out on Instagram, I'm there too at Rachel Picard. That's Rachel with an A-E-L and Picard like the captain, P-I-C-A-R-D. I also just made a Twitter, which I'm learning to use. So bear with me, much like I'm learning to use all of my technology and my twitter is at housewinepod1 that's housewinepod1 and if you spot an error or you would like to request an episode you can email this podcast at housewinepodcast at gmail.com until we meet again i hope you drink something delicious maybe if you can get your hands on some roma ratin you can let me know how it is have a great week <laughs>